focusing on the state of Israel and on Jerusalem and on the potential third temple that is being planned and will very likely be built. Now, hearing this, some people say, well, hold on, brother. Are you saying there's no temple going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem? There's no third temple? It looks like it, there will be. I am not saying that a third temple will not be rebuilt. Our message today touches on relevant events happening around us in the world and how we respond, how we react. War is going on. There is economic turmoil. There is doom and gloom predicted for the year ahead. There is uncertainty. There is all kinds of expectations that things could go really bad. How do we look? Where are we looking? What is really going on? It's important at the outset of any new venture, whether it be a new year, whether it be a new day, or whether it be a new chapter in life, to take a good look and examine where are we looking. And in light of all these things that are happening around us in the world, I want to start our uh, discussion today with a question. And the question is, which temple? This is the start of our study. Which temple? In particular, which temple are you focusing on? By the end of the study, you will be able to understand why it is important to ask this question and what it means for you today. Now, as we bring it all together at the end, you will see some very relevant very important biblical truths that are foundational in the New Testament that many Christians today have either forgotten or have completely ignored. And therefore, there is a great distraction and a deception that is sweeping away many. It's important to understand what that means and find out how we can avoid that deception. Which temple are you focusing on? The answer to this question will actually determine your actions, your behavior, and therefore your experience. That's an, uh, uh, a given. You, there is no escaping. Which temple you look at and you are occupied with will immediately, th immediately tell us what kind of actions, behavior, and experience you are likely to have because the two are linked. Now, I want to illustrate that for you. If you. You might believe me, you might not believe me, but that's the facts. That's reality, believe it or not. But let me illustrate that for you to show that this is really the case. Today, there is war in Israel, and uh, a lot of people in the state of Israel uh, are focusing on the temple in Jerusalem and a great desire to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That's the focus. We see that in the news from time to time over the years and up to recently. Here's an example. Laying the groundwork for a third temple in Jerusalem. And the Temple Institute in Israel, of course, is uh, preoccupied with promoting everything related to the rebuilding of the temple from designs, uh, structure, architecture, uh, furniture items, training, equipping, uh, singers, people, even priests for their work. All that is involved. Here's another uh, article. Uh, the Bible is their textbook. Jerusalem group trains priests for third temple. So this is all underway. This is happening. There's a great desire. There's a great interest in rebuilding the third temple. This is the temple that they are looking at. And it influences their actions and their behavior very clearly. And their experience as a result. It, it shapes what they do and why they do it. This is very Interesting. Now, not only that, but uh, three times a day, observant Jews pray 
May the holy temple be rebuilt speedily and in our day. That's three times this happens. Three times a day. The Jews do that. Now, this is not the only time. This is not the only place. We read about this frequently. Because their attention and their focus is on this temple and the building of this temple, it clearly influences their actions and their behavior and therefore their experience. They are working towards accomplishing that and fulfilling that and bringing that about. Here's another article. More Jews make trip to Temple Mount now than before the war. This is, this is current. There's more interest in the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount actually holds a Muslim shrine, a Muslim mosque. More Jews are going there to pray because they're interested. Something is happening. Video of Jews, this is a little uh, while ago, video of Jews performing priestly blessing on Temple Mount sparks Palestinian outrage. So contests over this location, something to do with the temple, praying, the Jews praying there, they're not meant to pray there under the current uh, rules and regulations. They're not meant to pray there publicly in a public manner. So this is what happened. It sparked a response. It sparked a reaction. What you focus on, which temple you look at, influences your behavior. Here's another one. Temple Mount groups plan march of the Maccabees through, Jeru Jer through Jerusalem's old city. There are certain elements, factions, and groups in Israel who are very keen on rebuilding the temple. On the Temple Mount, where some other structure is now standing, the Muslim mosque. Hence, conflict results. The third temple zealots in Jerusalem. Hardline Jewish groups who want to build the third temple on Al-Aqsa site. This is current news. The reason why I'm quoting so much is to show you that this is not just random uh, isolated event here or there. This is ongoing. This is the focus of attention of certain groups of people. Gaza riots to renew in response to increased Jewish Temple Mount visits. So notice the result. Increased attention by Jews over the Temple Mount, prayers publicly, visits, results in a reaction on the other side. So in response to these increased Temple Mount visits, there are riots in Gaza. And I want to I share with you something that uh, comes as news to most people as far as the current war that is happening in Israel between Hamas and Israel, between Israel and Hamas, the two, the two warring parties. I want you to notice the date of this article. This is October 5, 2023. That's not many months ago. As a matter of fact, it was only a few days after this that Hamas, terrorists from Hamas, invaded Israel and caused the, the havoc and, and turmoil that resulted in this war that followed, interestingly enough. I want to connect some dots here for you and share with you some things that you will most likely not hear on the mainstream news as to what is happening behind the scenes. Because things are not always as they appear to be. So I want you to think about that. Here's another article. This is Israel-Palestine War, how Hamas sees the Gaza conflict unfolding and why it thinks it can win. Now I want to read a few lines from this particular article. Notice carefully here what it says, and hopefully it'll jump out at you. To find out what Hamas thinks, MEE spoke to a senior Palestinian source in touch with the political leadership of Hamas. And the question was asked, why did Hamas instigate this attack that they did on October 7? Why now? And so it tells us here the trigger. This is this was the answer of this political, someone who is in touch with the political leadership of Hamas. The answer was, the trigger for the 7 October attack was Hamas's concern 
that far-right Jews intended to sacrifice an animal at the site of Al-Aqsa Mosque, thus laying the ground for the demolition of the Dome on the Rock Shrine and the building of the Third Temple. And then at the end here it also says, The only thing left is the slaughtering of the red heifers, which they imported from the U.S. If they did that, it's the signal to rebuild the Third Temple, said the source. So the attack by Hamas, according to this report, was to stop the rebuilding of the Third Temple. Now I want to make something very clear. There are people who have indicated that it doesn't seem feasible that Hamas attacked Israel without the Israeli uh, intelligence or army knowing. Maybe, and so they've suggested maybe Israel put them up to this. Maybe Israel anticipated or expected this and wanted it to happen for whatever reason. There are all kinds of scenarios. Things are not what they appear to be. And this is some of the things that are happening behind the scenes. It's very possible. It's very likely that agitation over the rebuilding of the Third Temple in Jerusalem was what caused this war. Depending on which side is interested in accomplishing it, and we will see as we go along why this is very relevant, especially what might happen in the very near future as a result. So it's very obvious then that which temple you look at influences your actions, your behavior, and your conduct, and your reaction. Now, before we go to our Bible verses, I want us to notice that this also impacts believers. This also impacts Christians. We're not just talking about Jews. We're not just talking about Muslims. We're not just talking about Israel and the state of Israel, certain factions, excuse me, and certain factions there. We're not just talking about Hamas or, or Gaza or Palestinians or Muslims and Arabs. Christians, believers also look to a particular temple. Which temple? should we look at? Which temple are you occupied with? Many Christians look for a temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, and they're very interested in what is happening there. And this shapes their actions, their loyalties, and their expectations. Even in spiritual things, it shapes their experience. This is why we're asking, what temple are you looking at? Now, we already covered some of these aspects in previous studies, which you can check out if you like, but we want to cover it today from a different angle to build a more cohesive and wholesome picture. This is why we're asking, what temple are you looking at? Many believers, many Christians feel that there will be a third temple built in Jerusalem and that this is a response or this is a fulfillment of prophecy. There is an expectation that that temple will be built and that uh, Satan or the Antichrist will sit in that temple and so they want to encourage that to bring on the end time events that they anticipate to finish things up. This is a sentiment that exists to a large degree even among Christians and it is sought to be justified by certain passages in the Bible. One such popular passage is in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. Now let's get into the scriptures and see what the Bible tells us and why this matters for us in light of what is happening currently in the world. In 2 Thessalonians we're told, speaking of this uh, man of sin, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And here is the reasoning that follows. Clearly here, the temple of God is in Jerusalem, 
it is not currently erected it has been destroyed so for this to happen for this uh, man of sin to sit in the temple of god this is associated with the antichrist or satan for this to happen the third temple must be rebuilt in jerusalem where this will take place and he will sit in the temple of god showing himself that he is god now before getting into the details of the man of sin and the identity of who that is i want to focus on this question of who is paul or what rather what is paul referring to when he talks about the temple of god when he writes to the thessalonians what is the temple of God according to Paul, his teaching, and according to the New Testament? Now, this is very clear. I don't want to take too much time in it, uh, but here are a few verses just by way of illustration to answer this question. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The temple of God is not a building okay it, it has agreement or disagreement the temple of god he says here very clearly you are the temple of the living god now this is not the only place elsewhere we're told first corinthians 3 16 and 17 also says know ye not that ye are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwelleth in you if any man defile the temple of god him shall god destroy for the temple of god is holy which temple ye are God's temple is holy because God dwells in that temple. That temple is people. It is made up of people, believers. They are the temple of God. The spirit of God, the very presence of God dwells in his people. And it's in that place where the enemy wants to set up a counterfeit to replace God in the temple of his people. This is what Paul is referring to in Thessalonians. So he's not referring to a building. He's not referring to a structure made of brick and stone and mortar. He is referring to the body of believers. In other words, the enemy, Satan, wants to use whatever means to infiltrate the church and sit in the place of, in the place of God and deceive people. And this was working in his time, as he tells us a little later in that chapter, that the mystery of iniquity is working already. The Apostle John refers to that power as the Antichrist power. In prophecy, it's referred to as the little horn. And Bible students over the centuries have identified that as the papal system. The papal system has infiltrated the Christian church and sat and took the place of God. But I want to focus the point here a little clearer. We're not talking here about a structure or a building in any particular city. It's very clear here. This is Paul who wrote Corinthians. He's the same author of Thessalonians. This is his understanding in the New Testament of who the, temp the temple of God is. This is fundamental to understand the deception that is taking place. The focus is not on a physical building or a structure. It is on people. It's not a man-made structure. Satan brings in doctrines of devils through his agents and brings them into the church. A chief agent that he uses is the Antichrist power and any one that resembles that because John also tells us there are many Antichrists. The result of these satanic doctrines is that Satan takes the place of God in people's minds, in people's hearts, in people's understanding as a result of false doctrine and false teaching. That is why Paul warns Timothy in the last days that there will be a departure 
and doctrines of devils will infiltrate the church. I want to give you a very clear example of this that illustrates it uh, adequately, but this is not the only example. The central doctrine of the Roman papal system is the God that they worship. It is called the Trinity. Now, this is according to them, not occurred according to me. They, they say this is the central mystery of the Catholic faith is the doctrine of the Trinity or the mystery of the Trinity. Now, this is not the Bible teaching on who God is. This teaching has come in, has infiltrated the church and sits in people's minds and hearts in the place where God should be. And the result is confusion in worship. Now, I'm not saying this to make a condemnation of people. Many people are deceived. Our work is to share the truth so that people are undeceived. But this simply is an identifying, uh, a point to identify that Satan is successful using his agents in coming into the temple of God and sitting in the temple of God within the church and confusion in worship is the result. This is what Paul was warning about. And this was starting to take place in his time, in his day. The Apostle John talks about antichrists in his day. And this will grow and will culminate in the last days. Their focus was not on another temple being built in Jerusalem where some physical person or entity will come in and sit. That's not the focus of the New Testament. This was made clear, of course, by Jesus himself. Jesus made it clear that the earthly temple in Jerusalem was soon to finish. Its purpose would be accomplished and a transition would take place. Jesus cleansed the temple when he was here on earth twice. Here's one account of when he cleansed the temple. Temple in Matthew 21 verses 12 and 13. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Very clearly here, the temple of God is referring to the structure, the building where Jesus entered and threw out these money changers. And he referred to it saying, uh, quoting the Old Testament, my house shall be called the house of prayer. So at that time, the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, the physical structure, the building of stone was the temple of God. Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer. And he was quoting, of course, from the Old Testament. That's why it says here, it is written, God's house. But notice the transition that takes place as time went on, because something was about to change. And Jesus indicated that very clearly. At the close of Christ's ministry, Luke 13, 35, towards the close of the ministry of Christ, here's what he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus here was indicating that the temple and the meaning of the temple was transitioning and moving. It's no longer now his house. It's no longer the temple of God. It is now their house and it is left to them desolate. What does desolate mean? Empty and eventually destroyed. And the next thing that will happen that will follow after this house being left desolate is not that it will be rebuilt. It's not that it will be reoccupied, but that Jesus will appear a second time at his second coming when it says here, 
you will not see me until the time come when you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Christ's temple will no longer be an earthly temple or structure in Jerusalem. He's making that abundantly clear. Jerusalem was going to be destroyed as well as its temple. This was made very clear at the death of Christ when an angel supernaturally rent the veil within the temple from the top to the bottom. It was rent. Okay. It was, it was part, the, the, the innermost, uh, holiest of holy within the temple was open. God's presence was no longer in that temple. Why? Because the greater one and the focus on the greater one now was to what, what was, what was to occupy people's attention. And we will see as we go along what that is about. Paul is in harmony with Jesus. It's very clear. Paul and Christ are in harmony over their understanding and teaching of what constitutes the temple in the New Testament. At one point, it was the temple structure in Jerusalem, but that point is gone. Now, the thing is, people say, well, maybe something will happen. Maybe a temple will be rebuilt. Uh, maybe this is uh, something that God plans or desires or even prophesied. And this is what we want to see and examine uh, as we go along together. When Jesus talked about this destruction, when he says, your house is left unto you desolate, he was referring to both the temple and ultimately the entire city of Jerusalem, which is referred to as the city of God time and again. And this verse is parallel with another one in Luke 21, 24, where Jesus, speaking about the same thing in different words, says the following, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So when Jesus says, your house is left unto you desolate, you're not going to see me again until I come in glory. And you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now he says, Jerusalem will be trodden down. It will be destroyed. It will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Are you looking to take your Bible study to the next level? Do you want to learn how to apply the Word of God in your daily life and share it more effectively with others? My Bible Academy is your online Bible school, offering a free, comprehensive, and dynamic program designed to deepen your understanding and engagement with the Bible. Take the next step in your spiritual growth and enroll to start a course at My Bible Academy today. The courses are designed to equip you with the tools and knowledge you need to share your faith with others. Visit nadamansour.com to enroll and start your learning journey today. That's nadamansour.com. See you there. The times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What are these times of the Gentiles? Well, he just told us in the previous verse. The times of the Gentiles extend until the second coming of Christ. That's the end. And Jesus tells us that a few verses later. He gives some signs and he indicates that very clearly. But I want us to notice something here. Many people think that what will follow after the end of the times of the Gentiles is maybe the rebuilding of Jerusalem as a center for worship for God. Of course, the rebuilding of Jerusalem with the hub of the temple being rebuilt there. Is this what Jesus is indicating? Is he even implying that the temple will be restored or will be rebuilt in Jerusalem? Is this what will accomplish the fulfilling of the times of the Gentiles? The answer is not at all. 
It's not the building of uh, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and most certainly, it's not the rebuilding of the temple. Like I said, he gives some signs in the verses following, and straight after that, in verse 27, he says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The event that follows the times of the Gentiles is the second coming of Jesus. This parallels the verse that we just read before in Matthew. That's why we're saying the times of the Gentiles extend to the coming of Christ. That's the end. That's the end as far as we're concerned. There are certain events, of course, that follow the second coming of Christ. Revelation makes that very clear and talks about them. But that's the end. That's the end of the world, if you wish. That's the end of uh, the age. This is the next event that follows. And so you have to ask the question, why then are so many people, so many believers in the Bible especially, focused on another temple in Jerusalem? You know, it's understandable for the Jews, the Jewish people, to want to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. It's understandable that the Muslims are fighting back because they want to preserve that site where their mosque is standing in Jerusalem. That's their temple, if you wish, in essence. But what doesn't make sense is Christians also looking for a temple to be erected in Jerusalem, thinking that it fulfills biblical prophecy. According to the New Testament, it doesn't. Where we need to look is actually somewhere else. Jesus made it clear. Paul agreed with Jesus, but not only them. Notice also Stephen. He made that abundantly clear. In Acts 7, the, the last sermon that Stephen preached, just before he died, just before he was killed, uh, this is what he says towards the conclusion of it. Verses 48 and 49. He says, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Stephen here was talking about the temple that Solomon had built to God. He talked about the tabernacle uh, in the wilderness. He talked about this temple that Solomon built. And of course, eventually, Stephen never got to that part, uh, that temple that was destroyed, Solomon's temple that was destroyed, was again rebuilt by Zerubbabel, which finally was destroyed in the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman army. So he's talking here about earthly structures, whether it be a tent or whether it be a temple. And he's saying here, the point he's making, this is what, what I want to focus on, that God, the Most High, God the Father, to be specific, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And then he quotes a verse from Isaiah to make that point. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. The dwelling place of God is not a man-made structure. That was simply a type. That was simply an illustration. That was simply a, a, an object lesson to illustrate a greater truth and a greater reality. The reality is God doesn't dwell in man-made structures. And the prophet Isaiah confirms that, where God says, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? What is the place of my rest? How can you, as a man, take the things that God made and think that you can use them to create a fit habitation and dwelling place for the God who made them in the first place? That's the point that is being made in this verse. The conclusion is clear. Earthly temples, structures, buildings, man-made buildings are finished as far as God is concerned. These are no longer his temple. They served a purpose for a time to illustrate a reality. Now that the reality is here, 
earthly structures or temples are no longer God's plan. Paul was present when Stephen uttered these words. Paul was still zealous for the earthly structure, the temple at the time. He was condoning and consenting to Stephen's death. After his conversion, Paul came to the realization of the truth that Stephen was talking about here. So now Stephen, Paul, and Jesus all agree. God is done with earthly temples. And Stephen's sermon here makes that abund abundantly clear. I want to focus on a component in this verse where it says, God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Temples made with hands. This is an important qualifier that sometimes is missed. Our focus, keep this in mind as, as we look at this point, our focus, according to the New Testament, is elsewhere. It's not on a temple in a particular location on earth. Notice our focus according to the book of Hebrews, and we'll see how temples made with hands uh, comes in. Here is Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul here says, Holy brethren, or the author to Hebrews, not to get uh, into the debate of, of who wrote Hebrews here, but the, the, the author of Hebrews says, here is what we are to consider. Here is what we are to dwell on. This is what should occupy our attention and our focus. Christ, the apostle and high priest of our profession. And Christ as our high priest is a ministering priest. And he is ministering in a heavenly sanctuary. Now notice how the book of Hebrews makes that very clear. This is the point I want to connect. In Hebrews 8.2, it says that Christ is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Interesting. Christ is a minister as our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, this true tabernacle. So if, if the heavenly sanctuary is the true tabernacle, that means the earthly one was simply the type or the object lesson or the illustration. It wasn't the true tabernacle. It was a small scale copy. That's why Stephen said in his sermon, God does not dwell in temples made with hands. And then it adds here that the Lord pitched this and not man. Why does it add this last verse not uh, or that last phrase, not man? Because this is in harmony with what Stephen was saying. God does not dwell, dwell in temples made with hands or made with human hands or man-made. The temple in heaven is not a man-made structure. Thus, it is a fit habitation for God. He is the builder of it. God is the only one who can build a fit habitation for himself. This is the point here. And Christ, as our high priest, is ministering in such a tabernacle, that's the true tabernacle, one that was built by God and not man. And this is where our focus and where our attention should be. In like manner, as we saw in the verses earlier in Corinthians, when Paul talks about the believers, as being the temple of God and God dwells in them. In like manner, the believers are not a man-made structure or they don't come about as a result of man's doing, as we read. They are God's building. Notice 1 Corinthians 3, 9. He says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And when he says God's building here, it has a double meaning. It's not that you are a building that belongs to God, that is true, but you are also God's building in that you were built by God. To be a true tabernacle on earth, God's people, to be a true temple of God, indwelt by God's Spirit, 
This temple must be constructed and built by God himself and not by man, because God does not dwell in temples made by hands. I hope you're seeing the point here. This is a very important common denominator that helps us identify the true temple that God's that God wants us to focus our attention on. He wants us to focus our attention on the temples that he built, not that man builds. Once you see that picture in the New Testament, you will be saved from a lot of the distractions that occur around us. Many distractions. Are you focusing on a temple that is built or that is going to be built by man? Or are you focusing on the temple that is built by God, the heavenly sanctuary where Christ is ministering as our high priest? And the earthly temple of flesh, God's people, the believers that he also brought about and established and where Christ is the minister by his spirit. Because keep in mind, Christ is ministering in the heavenly sanctuary above and he is still by his spirit, the minister of the church or the temple on earth, his people, because he is the only high priest. There is no other high priest. There is no one else. He is the only one qualified to be the minister. And Christ does this twofold work in heaven and on earth to synchronize and har bring harmony between them, thereby bringing us into God's presence, or as the scriptures that we read, bringing God's presence to inhabit us. And he is the one that accomplishes this work. This is the temple in the New Testament. The common denominator is that God is the builder, not man. The same understanding goes for the city of God. In the Old Testament, many times, Jerusalem is referred to as the city of God, the city where God put his name. And hence, the focus and the attention on the temple in the city of God is understandable in the New Testament, uh, sorry, in the Old Testament. But a transition has happened in the New Testament. Notice how Paul brings that out in Galatians 4 and verse 26. He says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. In this passage, Paul was contrasting the earthly Jerusalem, which is in bondage with her children, that's the city of Jerusalem, which was still standing at the time, and the heavenly Jerusalem, which is above. And he says that heavenly Jerusalem, Jerusalem which is above, is free, and that is the mother of us all as believers. This is the city that concerns believers in the New Testament, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, this is not some uh, amazing new revelation that's unheard of. Even the patriarch Abraham understood this truth, that when God gave him a promise of the land of Canaan and inhabiting that land, that was simply an illustration of a greater reality. Here's Hebrews again, talking about this point in Hebrews 11 and verse 10. Speaking of Abraham, it says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Here is the same denominator, is the same qualifier that we talked about earlier. The city that concerns believers, even Abraham, was not a city built by man or established by man. It is the city that has foundations, which is built by God. The builder and maker is God. That's the same qualifier for the temple, the true tabernacle and the temple of flesh on earth. The builder is God, not man. So if you're a child of Abraham, you're a child of, of the promise, then you are to be focused on the same city. This is the focus in the whole book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is about where are you looking, which temple. 
Now, of course, that's the emphasis in all of the New Testament. We saw many verses from the New Testament, but Hebrews especially makes that abundantly clear. This city is above. And so for believers, the earthly city of Jerusalem today should not be our focus and our attention, and especially a focus on a temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem, supposedly the third temple there. Now I say supposedly is because the count, many people think that the count uh, somehow is important or significant, but I want us to remember something. According to Stephen in his sermon, all the structures that are man-built are categorized in the same group, in the same category, no matter how many there might be. If it's a tent in the wilderness, if it's Solomon's temple, if it's Zerubbabel's temple, if it's another temple that is built, these are not different temples. These all belong to the same category, to the same group, the group that is man-made and earthly. And it doesn't matter how many more there might be, even if there is 10 more, okay? It still is in the same group, in the same category. You cannot escape that this is a man-made structure. The New Testament is concerned with something totally different. The structures that God builds, whether in heaven or on earth. This is where we are to focus. Here it is again, Hebrews 12, verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. This is the focus of the believers. Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the one who, which is made by God. So it's important in light of this to ask the question, on what basis then should believers be occupied or focused on the earthly city of Jerusalem and consider that it is still God's city? According to Hebrews here, here is the city of the living God. It is the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where our attention should be, not on the earthly Jerusalem. If we're looking elsewhere from where we are supposed to be looking, then we are distracted. Beware of the distraction. So if the city is the heavenly city, then of course it follows that the temple is the heavenly temple. And Hebrews says that time and again. Here is Hebrews 9.11. But Christ being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Here is that point again this qualifier that this greater tabernacle, the more perfect one, is not made with hands. Why is the apostle saying this? Because that's what the Old Testament predicted, that God's dwelling place, his true tabernacle, is not built by man. God's habitation is not a temple made with hands. That's what Stephen said. Paul heard that. Paul said it. Here's the book of Hebrews emphasizing it. Christ is ministering in such a temple, and this is why it's referred to in this way. There are four qualifying points in this passage, in this verse in particular, that tell us about this temple. Four qualities of this heavenly temple. It is greater, so that tells you it's being contrasted with, with something that is lesser or not as great. That's the earthly man-made structures, whatever they might be, tents or buildings. However many times you might re-erect them, they are the same thing. They are lesser than the greater tabernacle. And it says here also, it's more perfect. So the other one that it's contrasted with is less perfect. Greater, more perfect tabernacle. Number three, it's not made with hands. I emphasize that point already. And the number four basically adds more details to number three. That is to say, not of this building. 
In other words, it is not of uh, this structure, not built with rocks and uh, stones and mortar. It is not a physical building that is man-made. This is the attention. This is the focus. This is where Christ is ministering. In like manner, the same could be said about the temple that God builds that is his people, his living believers, the habitation of God, the building of God that God built through Christ and accomplished this living temple that is his presence where Christ is ministering by his own spirit, not someone else. When you put all of that together, you start to realize how much distractions exist, how many believers are distracted by events that are happening in Israel and focusing on the state of Israel and on Jerusalem and on the potential third temple that is being planned and will very likely be built. Now, hearing this, some people say, well, hold on, brother. Are you saying there's no temple going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem? There's no third temple? It looks like it, there will be. I am not saying that a third temple will not be rebuilt. It, it is very likely that a third temple will be rebuilt. I, I, I anticipate and expect that it will be rebuilt. But I want to clarify something. It will not be rebuilt because God wants it to be done. God will have nothing to do with an earthly structure built in Jerusalem that is professed to be a temple or said to be a temple because we've seen God has shifted and has moved. So that leaves it to only be a distraction. Jesus made it clear, the times of the Gentiles will continue until his second coming. He made it clear, he says, your house is left unto you desolate and you will not see me until you see me coming in the second coming. Now there is no question that the heavenly Jerusalem, the, the, the city of God, as it tells us in the book of Revelation, when that descends, it will occupy that part or that uh, location in Israel, what we know and understand Israel today. The Bible makes that very clear. But until such a time, our focus is on the heavenly, not on the earthly. So I understand that this will happen. You know, After the millennium, the home of the believers, the new Jerusalem will descend out of heaven and it will land in that spot. The Bible tells us the Mount uh, Olives will cleave uh, you know, and there will be a huge space and the city will land there. This is prophecy. But none of these prophecies have anything to do with a rebuilding of a third temple, a man-made structure in Jerusalem. The city God built the temple in heaven or the tabernacle in heaven God built, the tabernacle of his people or the temple on earth of his people is also built by God. I want to put this all together as we close and say, what does this actually mean for us today? Hopefully you see the point, but I want to spell it out so that we'll make sure it's clear. How is your temple today? Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. This year, what will you do? What will this year look like for you? And not just this year, really any day. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, a new start. A new start doesn't always happen at the beginning of a year. You know, it's good to start at the beginning of a year and, and make commitments and resolutions. But a new start can happen any day. You can make a new start today. Any new segment or any new chapter in your life can be a point to start afresh. So I want to invite you, I want to call your attention to look and examine what is really occupying your vision. Now that we're looking at this in light of what the New Testament says, where are you looking? Now is a very good time to take a close look at where you are looking. Don't be distracted by the externals. Now, I want to uh, tell you something here and, and also conclude with this because looking at the externals, we're very 
interested and very preoccupied as what will happen next let me give you some very likely scenarios of what will happen and uh, and get that out of the way right so here's another news article we kind of start uh, we kind of close where we started the israelis set for new jewish temple on al-aqsa site this is what they're set on and this is what very likely is going to happen but like i made clear this is not because god desires it this is not because it will fulfill god's will and it's not because God's presence will inhabit an earthly structure ma made by man anymore. Now, how is this uh, going to happen? It is very likely, I'm going to present to you some likely scenarios here, that the war that is happening in the Middle East will spread. Don't be surprised if the war grows. Don't be surprised if uh, more countries are involved in the war. Maybe the Muslim world and Israel and America will be involved in a massive war. Don't be surprised if that happens. Not only that, but don't be surprised if some stray missile ends up hitting Al-Aqsa Mosque and that location in Jerusalem. Don't be surprised by that at all, because there are uh, rockets and missiles flying in the war. You know, when, when a rocket hits somewhere, as we recently heard, a hospital was uh, blown up and both sides blamed each other they said oh it was their rocket no it was their rocket and uh, no one really knows for sure but the end result it was blown up don't be surprised if something similar happens and what will result very likely a rebuilding of the third temple this is a very likely scenario that it could very well happen but this is not where our focus and our attention should be let us focus on what really matters. This is why I'm asking the question again. In light of what we covered now, where is your focus? Which temple are you really looking at? Are you looking at God's work and God's building in your life? Is that what's occupying your attention? Are you by faith seeking Christ to be formed within and accomplish a cleansing of this earthly temple of flesh? Are you allowing Christ to do that in you? Or are you preoccupied elsewhere? Are you keeping your eyes on the ministering high priest in the heavenly temple? This is what Hebrews tells us. Or are you looking elsewhere? And I like to put it this way, you know, when you uh, when you plug in your devices, electronic devices today, one thing you can do is you can synchronize them, right? You can have them in sync. Is your earthly temple in sync with the heavenly temple and what is happening there? This is God's purpose. This is God's desire. He wants us to put our house in order not by our own doing but by completely surrendering to him so he can synchronize us with heaven and her earth can synchronize and the ministering high priest accomplishes this dual work in us making us a fit habitation for god's own spirit and god's own presence whereas the bible said god walks in you and dwells in you is this where your focus and when your attention is that's a commitment that you can make that's a choice that you can make i invite you to look where the bible tell, tells us to look at the temple which really matters if you are blessed by this message please share it with others be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes your prayers and support are appreciated may god richly bless you through his son jesus